We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Veriport. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, you say Koshal, you said the weather's starting to get a little bit warmer out here, um, it seems, over the next couple of weeks or so, which is pretty nice considering where we've been at over the last, I don't know, say month or so, it seems like. But uh, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well, man. Warmer weather is always awesome because it means February's ending. That means March and April. It's the thick of draft season. You know, a lot of activity that's going to be going on over the next two months because we're about two months away from the nfl draft so i'm excited to be on this thing weekly with you man and break it all down yeah absolutely especially over the next seven months it's gonna be really fun with all these uh positional breakdowns and previews a lot of good stuff that we'll be getting to for all these prospects in the strat there's a lot of interesting and really fun players and dynamic players to talk about here but before we get started on the topic of today's episode there are a couple things kind of mentioned here in regards to bears news and just overall draft news in general. So we kind of found this out over the last, I think it was yesterday we got the news about this, but I came across this today, but uh, the Bears, they are slated to, uh, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, they are slated to speak to the media on March 2nd. And why this is notable is that usually around this time of the year, usually this weekend actually, um, is when the NFL draft combine takes place in Indianapolis. It's the biggest pre-draft event of the year, typically, um, it's where we see a lot of prospects that go there. Either they see their draft stocks either rise significantly or sometimes fall significantly, depending on how they do there. But you know, this year, obviously with COVID and some of the restrictions here, they're going to be doing a lot different. There isn't an actual combine this year, so it makes things just very difficult. I think from an evaluation standpoint, if you're some of these teams, because that's a good that's a good time to get to see these guys live, get to talk to them a little bit, get some time to uh, meet with them. And now you're doing all that stuff over Zoom and phone calls and stuff like that. And uh, it's just, sometimes I think there is, a, a, you know, the fact that person getting to know somebody in person, uh, getting to see them in person, interact with them in person, uh, that goes a long way, I think. And sometimes when you get these Zoom meetings with some of these guys, that can kind of get a, a little bit difficult, I think, then to kind of get them get to know them a little bit more naturally. I think if that makes sense. It definitely does. I think one of the biggest things that no one's even talking about with regards to the 2021 draft process is we thought the 2020 draft process was going to be difficult because again, the pandemic hit the U S in mid March last year. And now you'll at least last year, we had a scouting combine. Now you fast forward to 2021. We don't even have a scouting combine. So it's going to be more of trust to tape more than anything else. And not having a scouting combine is big because it's like you mentioned, right? You have these measurables that teams really rely on the 40 yard dash, the 
bench press, all those other combine activities, the three cone shuttles that just showcase so much of what a prospect is able to do. And then we talk about just the impact of not having those simple 15 minute interviews that teams normally conduct every evening at the scouting combine with prospects. You don't have those either. And so essentially it's going to be a much more unprecedented draft process this year. It's going to be an interesting two months compared to anything we saw last year. Cause like I mentioned a moment ago, last year, at least we had the combine, at least we had the opportunity to see some guys rise. And there's those handful of players every single year that they go into Indianapolis. They, come out risers we are not going to have any of that this year so it's just going to be more so of like trust the tape and just trust whatever you're hearing through the nfl grapevines and the college grapevines when you're evaluating these prospects yeah and i think a good example of that we talked about how you know the combine's a good chance for some of these especially small school guys to go to the uh to that event and, and really show them show off a little bit to these nfl scouts and see that you know they can finally get uh, and their bench press on tape, they can finally get 40-yard dash, kind of get a measurement of their actual speed because it can be kind of hard to, to uh, judge some of these small school guys um, when you're watching them go up against, obviously, inferior competition compared to some of these other top prospects who are playing against best of the best competition week in and week out. Um, you know, I, I think a good example with the Bears specifically, you look at Darnell Mooney in last year's combine, I think he ran a 4-3-40, and, you know, he was always known as a speed deep threat specialist coming out of college, coming out of Tulane. And I think that kind of confirmed it for a lot of NFL teams. And obviously it confirmed it for the Bears because they were very aggressive and going up and getting Darnell Mooney. I think, you know, his performance at the combine, especially the four-yard dash, was a big reason why. Now, shifting gears specifically to the Bears here, because I did mention this earlier, you know, they are going to have that press conference, which is kind of going to be like what that press conference would be for at the combine, but, you know, going into the thing on March 2nd, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to seeing uh, from Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy? What kind of questions do you think need to be answered here? And um, what is your ge general uh, mindset going into this press conference here for what you expect to hear? I mean, the general mindset for me is we're not going to get much of anything. I mean, listen, Pace and Nagy have developed this mindset over the last couple of years, right? Just in the sense that, hey, listen, we're not going to leak much of anything. When there is an opportunity to dodge and jump around a specific question, we're going to go ahead and do that. But I think just there's a couple things to watch for here, though, right? Even though my expectations personally are not very high for whatever they're going to say, I'd expect to hear questions regarding Trubisky and update on where the bears are at regarding the quarterback situation. I think that with a lot of the quarterback rumors that are floating around the NFL, you look at just Matt Stafford. I mean, the bears were rumored to be in on Carson Wentz, Derek Carr, who apparently as of Monday, February 22nd is closing in on extension with the Las Vegas Raiders. Marcus Mariota has been a guy that's been floated in trade rumors, you know, so it's going to be very interesting to kind of see how the collaboration process has been working for the bears for the last month and a half or so, because again, the last time we heard from the bears brass was back in January, right after they lost to the new Orleans saints in the playoffs. So overall, just, you know, getting an update on the quarterback situation, how the collaboration's going regarding the QB decision, you know, have they looked into doing their homework on some of these quarterbacks that are in the draft class, you know, what are they hearing from around the league per se, as they prepare to make, what is essentially going to be the second biggest move of the pace and Nagy tenure here in Chicago? Yeah, I think you said it, you know, in terms of the expectations part of it, you have to keep your expectations low in terms of the amount of information you're going to hear from pace and Nagy and really pace specifically um, because he likes to keep things close to the chest, so to speak. Um, when it comes to information leaking out there. And we see many times in the past where he's going to, he's going to say one thing, um, at his press conferences, and then he does completely the exact opposite in terms of what he actually does uh, from a roster move standpoint. Um, so got to keep that in mind there. But for me personally, I like to see a little bit of a sense of what you know their direction is going to be going into this offseason, especially when it comes to free agency and what the strategy is there. Because, I mean, we can talk about quarterback to death here and just go back and forth on, um, you know, what their plan is at the quarterback position, how are they going to go about addressing, um, you know, in the draft or whether it be in free agency, what's the main goal here. 
I don't think we're going to get a really clear clear answer on that. And I think that's for good reason. I think they want to keep all the information in Hallis Hall, so to speak. But getting an indication on what positions they want to attack this offseason, how they're going to manage some of the salary cap conundrums that they're going to be in um, as a result of, you know, COVID obviously causing the cap to take a hit this upcoming season. You know, it's going to create a lot of challenges, I think, for especially keeping these veterans on the roster and then making significant additions to the roster. Um, there's going to be a lot to kind of go through there uh, from that aspect of things. So getting more information on that, do I expect to get, get a lot of clear answers on that? Not really. Uh, maybe we'll get some more from Maggie on the schematic side of things and what he's expecting to do this offseason, how he wants to change the offense a little bit. But other than that, I mean, we'll see what happens there. All in all, if we can get any information from that, I'll be happy with whatever we get. So moving on here to the topic of this episode, I think it's a good time to switch gears here. Uh, last week, we covered our first preview episode of the 2021 NFL draft, leading up to that draft, I should say. And that was focused. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. On the quarterback position, we gave our top five quarterbacks in this year's draft class, sleepers, overhyped prospects, and then what we think the Bears should be doing to address quarterback. We talked about all that in our last episode. So if you want to check that out, go and check that out right now before you listen to this, if you haven't already. But on the subject of this episode right now, we're going to be covering the running back position for this episode. So it's going to be the similar format here, top five running backs in this class, our sleepers, and then how we think the Bears should be addressing running back in the draft specifically uh, for the 2021 NFL draft. A lot of exciting stuff here. We're going to start off with our top five running backs in this draft class. But before we get to that, we're going to take our first break of the show with a word from our sponsor. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here at Picks for Pace, starting off our running back discussion here, our running back preview, I should say, of the 2021 NFL Draft class with our top five running backs in this year's upcoming NFL draft and you say it I'll start off with you who are your top five running backs here in order and what are some of the traits you're looking for in some of these guys that kind of differentiated them uh, when ranking them one through five yeah so my top five kind of goes in this order right so I have Clemson's Travis Etienne and Alabama's Najee Harris I've got UNC's Michael Carter and then UNC's Javante Williams as three and four and then my fifth guy is Jamar Jefferson from Oregon State and when I look at just this overall class right in terms of some of the traits I'm looking for obviously you know speed is a big one of them right being able to catch the ball and be a dual fart weapon is how you make a lot of your money in the NFL now especially as a running back as we see this new breed of kind of being a dual threat 
weapon as a running back has fully taken over the NFL, right? And then I'm looking for vision, elusiveness, contact balance, right? And then obviously this is a bit of a wild card for just something that I personally look for, but like how much tread do these guys have on their tires, right? Because we look at a lot of these guys, it's just like, you know, a guy like ETN, for example, who's been very productive over the last four seasons at Clemson, right? When he gets to the NFL, right? Because he's got so much wear and tear on him, how long is he really going to last? Because the average shelf life of a running back is like, what, three, four, maybe if you're lucky, five or six years at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a very uh, important distinction to make when grading these guys, because some of these players, you know, they might have the instant impact as a rookie and second year player right away that where you're going to say, okay, why isn't that guy drafted higher? Well, it's because a lot of these running backs, they don't get to their second contracts, or at the very least, they're not the same player once they do get their second contracts in the NFL. And at that point, you're looking at situations like with Todd Gurley. Right now, it's Ezekiel Elliott in Dallas, where it's kind of like a sunk cost right there with the running back situation because it's very – with the way that the NFL works right now, running back is a very replaceable position. And a lot of it just has to do with scheme fit, and your offensive line, the way they're productive as an offensive line unit, uh, blocking for these guys. A lot of it goes into that and not necessarily the talent level of your running back. So I think you made an important distinction when evaluating some of these guys, what is their value in the passing game? Because it's a passing league right now. It's going to be trending that way more so going forward, how important that is in uh, today's NFL. So what can they offer in terms of the versatility as a pass catcher? Are they good in pass protection there? Are they able to split out wide and run routes in the slot or at the wide receiver position? Uh, those are some of the things you have to look for as well. And then obviously there are the other traits such as vision, like you said, quickness, explosiveness in the open field, um, and as well as, like you said, contact balance. That's a huge thing for running back, especially in the NFL, because you're going to have to create your own yardage at the NFL level at some point. And, and some of the great running backs you see in the NFL, you look at Dalvin Cook, for instance, Derrick Henry, those guys are able to create yards for themselves and not just within the scheme. So you want to get running backs that can create for themselves a little bit within the offense. So bringing that full circle to my top five running backs in this class, a little bit different here. So my number one is going to be Michael Carter out of UNC. Uh, I'll get to that in a little bit, but I'll just go through all my list before kind of mentioning why that's the case. But number two for me, Najee Harris out of Alabama. Number three, Travis Etienne. Number four, Javante Williams out of UNC as well. And then my number five guy is Kenneth Gainwell out of Memphis. So I'll start here with Carter because Carter is my number one running back here. And I think it's going to be a surprise for a lot of people. And I kind of teased this a little bit on Twitter before we started recording here. But um, to me, Michael Carter is far and away. Well, I, I wouldn't say far and away, but to me, he's the top running back in this class. And it's because of a combination of a, a variety of different factors. So you look at the way he was utilized at North Carolina with him and Javante Williams there, you have a great once you punch at running back. So like you said, tread on the tires, it's a huge thing when evaluating these guys, there's not a lot of tread on the tires when you look at Carter here because he split touches with Williams there at North Carolina. So he's going to come into the NFL fresh and ready to go right away. And he's probably going to have more years available to him. that will be, um, accessible for these NFL teams to take advantage of once he gets to the NFL level. And then just from his ability on the field, his playmaking ability on the field, one of the things I love about Carter is the way that he understands how to change speeds as a runner. So he's not just a one-speed player in terms of, you know, he gets the ball right away, and he's running at the same speed the entire time, it's the same thing. Um, to me, that's not what you want to see from a running back in today's NFL. You want somebody that can change direction quickly, accelerate through the hole, explode in the open field. And that's where you see some of the great running backs in today's NFL. That's how they make their big plays there. So if you get a guy that's, you know, running at the same track speed the entire time, you know, it's very easy for defenses to adjust to that and then make plays in the ball carrier in the backfield or within three or four yards of the line of scrimmage. As a result, you get a guy like Michael Carter who changes his speeds very well. Um, knows when to decelerate, knows when to accelerate into the hole. That makes a huge difference for your offensive line. It actually makes things easier for your offensive line as a result. And just his ability to be elusive in space, his shiftiness as a runner, uh, his contact balance at the point of attack there, just a lot of impressive stuff. And I think once he gets into the NFL where he's going to be asked to be the number one running back, 
for an NFL team there. I think a lot of teams are going to be uh, really happy with his ability to take on that full workload as a running back. And while he wasn't used a lot in the passing game at North Carolina, I think there is a lot of untapped potential with him as a pass catcher. Uh, we, I've seen his um, him on occasion be able to separate against linebackers and safeties in the passing game, especially on wheel routes. You know, at North Carolina, they, they mostly use their running backs on uh, screen passes or little um, flare-out routes to the flats for their running backs. Not a lot of stuff where they're actually doing option routes in, in the middle of the field there. But Carter, when he was asked to do that type of stuff, he looked pretty good. So uh, I think uh, if he can develop a little bit with his pass protection technique a little bit, he's a, he's a willing blocker in pass protection. If he can develop there, there's a lot to like about his game translating to the NFL to where I think he can be a better NFL player than college player. Yeah. And you know, one of the things I think I really like about Michael Carter Williams before I break down why ETN's my running back one is I think that for Michael Carter, right. He is the type of player that you are going to have featured as not necessarily featured, but featured in like a one, two punch. Right. So if you get a guy who complements his skill set, that's really going to go a long way into just how teams are going to go about like employing their running game each week. Right. I mean, cause Carter really, burst onto the scene right over his like last two or three seasons at UNC. And so when I look at him, you know, I agree with you. I do think that when he gets to the next level, depending on just the type of offensive line that he has in front of him, if he has a really good offensive line, he's going to burst onto the scene. And I think that every single year, right. We see like one rookie running back who kind of slips through the cracks, you know, and then ends up, bursting onto the scene i mean last year it was antonio gibson who's with the washington football team this year i think that that guy is going to be michael carter williams yeah michael carter again like i said very impressive player and his uh his teammate javante williams really good too what are some things you like in javante's williams game because they're kind of different stylistically from each other carter he's more of an explosive player javante williams he's more of that uh in between the tackles, power runner that does have speed once he gets into the open field, and he has created some big runs in the past. So what, what are some of the things you like in Williams' game compared to Carter? Yeah, what I really like about Javante Williams, and you kind of went ahead and mentioned this, is I believe he's like 5'10", 5'11", 225, right? So he is one of those running backs that is on the much bigger side. So, you know, really good in pass protection, all right, is big and physical, all right? I really like how he's a hard runner, all right? And then just his ability to kind of see the field and then break those tackles and just create additional yardage. I think that that is, those are just a lot of the traits that go ahead and make him such an appealing option for a team that is looking to add a big bruiser power running back. Yeah, and I don't don't think uh, that bruiser power runner is dying either. I think we look at the amount of teams that are running that outside zone Kyle Shanahan style run scheme where you're looking for a lot of running backs that are going to be kind of one gap guys where they're or one cut guys guys I should say where they're starting running horizontally upon the snap and then it's just make that one cut vertical and you hit the hole uh, once it opens up for you based off of how your offensive line blocks it uh, I think guys like Javante Williams are going to be very popular for those types of schemes there um, and another guy that could be I wouldn't say popular for that scheme specifically because I think he's more of a fit for a power scheme, but I think both of us have Najee Harris of Alabama as our number two guys. So what are the things, some of the things you like about Najee Harris, because he's a very interesting guy to kind of study here because you look at him at Alabama, he's kind of that big bruising power back, but he does have explosive athleticism there as well. I mean, he's had a ton of highlight reel uh, hurdles on tape there where you just see him jump over to some of these defensive backs in the open field and you just wonder how he does it as a guy that is is as huge as he is as a running back. I forget what his actual listed size is, but, I mean, he's a, he's a tough guy to stop uh, once he gets rolling there. So what are some of the things you like about Harris specifically as a running back prospect translating to the NFL? Yeah, you know, he's got a lot of power, all right, and then he's just very versatile as well. I mean, that's the thing for a guy like, and you mentioned Najee Harris's size, right? He is one of the bigger running backs in this class. I believe he's like 6'1 or 6'2, right? But um, the thing with him is this, right, is you look at a guy that is able to just hit the hole hard and continuously run, right? But then he's also a guy that when he gets outside onto the perimeter, he is able to be a big threat as well and then just pile over 
you know, linebackers and jump over these guys. Right. And then the biggest aspect of him is that for a guy of his size, I think he's an excellent wide receiver, right? Just because when we look at, you know, his numbers at Alabama and obviously I don't have the numbers pulled up in front of me, but you can considerably see just watching Najee Harris in 2019 compared to 2020, right? He significantly improved like, as a receiver over the last two seasons. And I think that for a guy like Najee Harris, right. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners have seen this pro comparison floating out there. And this is one of those that I totally agree with. Right. I think like Najee Harris reminds me of Matt Forte. And I would actually say that Najee Harris is like Matt Forte light, you know, he's a very hard runner. All right. He can fit into almost any scheme. And I think that he is going to be a workhorse at the next level. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say that Najee Harris, one of the things I do like about him from a just look translating to the NFL, you kind of said it there. His improvement as a pass catcher has really been impressive if you look at it here because I think he's got much better hands than I think he's given credit for as a pass catcher. Now, at Alabama, he was, mo- he was mostly used as a checkdown option in the passing game, so not a lot of splitting out wide and running routes, but he did show at times that he could do that uh, when given the opportunity. So he does have the ability there. Um, if given the opportunity, it's just a matter of the just getting the reps there. And I think once he does get the reps as a number one running back, uh, I think that could really he could really impress there and really surprise a lot of people with just how good a receiver that he can be. It's just a matter of whether teams are willing to give him that opportunity or not. And if you're taking him high, which it's rumored that a lot of teams are looking for him in the first round, which to me is too high for any running back really, but uh, Najee Harris, he's one of those borderline cases where you could justify taking him in the first round. Uh, he's going to have to be using the passing game a lot because that's really the only justification I would have for picking a guy that high. Yeah, I think that, you know, specifically for the running back position, right, is that if you are going to select a guy in the first round, because when you look at the 2020 NFL draft, right, I mean, look, we had Clyde Edwards Hilaire go in the first round, then we had four running backs get drafted in the second round, right? Well, I think, yeah, it was like four or five running backs drafted in the second round. So we had basically six running backs go within the top 64 picks, but only one of those guys was drafted within the first 32 picks. And I think that anytime you select a running back in round one, you do not just hope that this is going to be a guy that's going to help your team now and is going to be a workhorse as a runner and as a passer. You have to be very confident that he's going to be able to be a starter on your team for the next, you know, 10 to 12 years even. Just because, like, again, those first-round draft picks, when you are drafting those guys, whether you're picking at first overall or 32nd overall, just the reality of the situation is that those are your long-term building blocks. And then you use, you know, the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round to supplement whatever your first round talent is. And so like, I know Josh Jacobs, I believe was the last Alabama running back drafted in round one. And he went round one in 2019, I believe 24th overall. Right. So I think if Harris does, I'm not taking Harris round one, just because like, again, why would you take a running back in round one, knowing that the tight end class is much deeper. The wide receiver class is much deeper. The offensive tackle class is much deeper. Right. I would take Najee Harris though, in the second round, because I believe, that for a player of his caliber and what he's able to do that's where the perfect fit lies or the perfect value i should say yeah second round really like you said it's the perfect value i think for finding some of these top tier running back prospects that can be your starter for the first four or five years of their career before you have to figure out whether you want to keep them long term on on an extension or not so Najee harris i think he fits the bill for that and you look at last year's draft in terms of some of the players that were taken in the second round looking at Cam Akers by the Rams. You're looking at Jonathan Taylor for the Colts, DeAndre Swift for the Lions. Those are the type of value running back picks you're going to get in the second round. And if you're a team that feels like your offense is a running back away from really being dynamic, I think that's a good spot to take some of these guys like that. So looking at your list here, we had a little bit different of a top five in terms of the fifth spot. So, so go over what you saw in Jamar Jefferson to be your number five running back in this class, because he was someone that was on my radar, but didn't quite get to that spot for me on my list. But what are some of the things that you like about his game um, translating to the NFL here? Yeah, I think just looking at Jamar Jefferson, right? Overall, I mean, we talk about the way the NFL is going now, right? Teams want 
just more speed in the running back position, right? So you look at a guy like Jamar Jefferson. I mean, he's been very productive as a runner. And then as well as just, I get at Oregon State in the passing game, he was used as, you know, a check down option. But like when he's in the open field, he's in, you know, he's got tons of open space. He's really able to be the spark plug for an offense, right? And then he's pretty solid when it comes to, um, you know, pass protection as well, right? And he's a matchup nightmare against linebackers. So really, this is a player for me, right, that um, I look at and I'm like, okay, he is going to be someone at the NFL level, whether it is as a, uh, you know, as a number two option, I believe he will be a number two option at the NFL level, but as a really good change of pace back, he fits what the NFL is continuing to look for in running backs, right? And then just his ability to kind of get to that second level or that third level and then finish. I mean, he's consistently shown, hey, I can be that type of guy in college and break away. But the question is, right, is he going to be able to do it consistently at the NFL level is the one question that I have about him. Yeah, and this running back class is kind of weird because, like we were talking about, at the top of this draft class, there are three or four guys I think that you'd be comfortable taking in that second round to where, uh, you know, you feel confident they can be a workhorse for your for your offense, or at the very least, be a very good part of a dynamic tandem there at running back with another player with a different skill set there. So you're looking at guys like Najee Harris, Etienne, Williams, Carter. All those guys have the ability, I think, to be drafted in the second round or at the very least early in the third round. When you get to some of these other guys, though, beyond that, this is where things kind of get interesting in this draft class. And it's really, I think, in my opinion, at least, all about what your taste is in a running back and what scheme you're running, what you're really looking for with these guys. Because I think there's about a tier of about 10 or so running backs here where really where they get drafted depends on the type of offense that they're going into and what they're looking for in a running back here. So it's really hard to kind of differentiate some of these guys here, but I'll go over my number five guy here uh, just because we had different top fives here with that uh, kind of game. Well, out of Memphis, Um, he kind of gives you a different element as a running back because he's really more of a receiver first running back, I think. So you look at the way he was utilized at Memphis. He was utilized a lot in the slot. He was utilized a lot out wide running a variety of different routes, which is very different from some of these other guys in this draft class. Like we've mentioned a couple of times here, most of these running backs we've been talking about have been used primarily as a check down option in the passing game. Well, Gamewell, on the other hand, he's used primarily, well, I wouldn't say primarily, but a significant amount of his reps come in the slot where he's running a variety of different routes, out routes, uh, slot fade routes, uh, comeback routes, some of these other crossing routes, uh, a lot of different stuff here that Gamewell is running as a pass catcher here. And then you combine the fact that he can be a guy that can get 10 to 10 to 15 carries per game. He's very elusive in, in the, uh, in open space. Uh, he's got nice explosiveness in the open field. He has a, a nice ability to make guys miss. And you look at the history of Memphis running backs in the past year, uh, specifically when you look at last year's draft, Antonio Gibson, kind of a, a similar player to game well in terms of a wide receiver running back hybrid, but you put him at running back in the NFL and he exploded onto the scene there for the Washington football team. I don't think Gainwell has quite that same ability to transfer uh, as a workhorse running back in the NFL, but as a guy that can be used in a variety of different ways for your offense, I think he adds a lot of versatility to your offense as a pass catcher. And with where the league is going right now, I think it's more valuable to some degree than some of these other guys here who bring maybe a little bit more as a true runner of the football in a traditional setting, but with the way things are going right now in the passing game, you want guys out there that can do a variety of different things for your offense, either pass catching out of the backfield or in the slot or even out wide at times. Yeah, Gainwell is such an interesting case study for me just because, like, you know, when I use our 247 sports recruiting database, I think, like, Gainwell is one of the few running back prospects in this class that – in this draft class that ended up playing quarterback in high school. Right. But then like you look at him, you know, he was just so dynamic in 2019 and I like the vision, the elusiveness, you know, the footwork you mentioned, like his ability to kind of be like a receiver too. So I think he's one of those guys that like right now, you know, for me is outside the top five, but I think that, uh, you know, when, we do have these like regional combines, et cetera, things of that nature over the next couple of weeks here. What will happen is Gainwell is going to go ahead and um, 
you know, burst onto the scene and be talked about more. So he's a really interesting case study for me. And um, I know that, you know, just, I believe 2019 or 2020 was his only year playing running back at Memphis, right? So there is a lot of like growing for him to do in terms of becoming like a true running back. But I think he has a really exciting ceiling if I were to sum it up. Yeah, and just to confirm there, Gainwell, his only experience, I believe, was in 2019. Uh, he was a he redshirt his freshman year. He came on to play in 2019, and then he opted out of 2020 to prepare for the NFL draft. So Gainwell, he doesn't have a lot of experience on there, but in a way, that's kind of a good thing like we talked about here because that means less tread on the tires. That means he's fresher for the NFL. And given that he's gotten this offseason off, that gives him a lot of chance to work on his game here a little bit and get prepared for the NFL level. So we'll see how he translate there. But I think if you're a team looking for more of a pass catcher first running back, he's the type of player that you want to go after here in this draft. All right. Like I said, uh, when it comes to these running backs here after the top four, I'd say a lot of these guys are kind of interchangeable in terms of how you can rank them, at least in my opinion. So we're going to be talking about a few more of these guys that kind of are in that tier here, because like I said, there's like 10 of these guys that are very similar in terms of how you can grade them. So what we're going to do here is we're going to take our second break of the show and then get to some of our sleepers in this draft that could be taken later in the draft, but could provide a day two type of production here in the early goings of their NFL career here, which is what you typically see at the running back position. We're going to get to those guys real quick here, but before we get to that, here's our second break of the show with a word from our sponsor. And we're back here at Picks for Pace going over some of these other running backs in this draft class that we need to keep an eye on later in the draft, specifically starting with our sleepers here, you said, who is your number one sleeper in this draft class? So you're looking at here, maybe on day three of the draft that a team can take there at that point and be really confident in them getting the most out of them, maybe as a true workhorse running back here, or even just as a guy that can kind of work into a rotation here as a change of pace back that can really make a difference for an NFL offense early on in their career yeah so for me and it's interesting because like it's interesting to see just how much changes in a year because had you asked me a year ago about Chuba Hubbard I would probably tell you he's one of the most like dynamic running back prospects but like you know last year's running back class I do not think in my opinion was as strong compared to what's coming out this year right but my sleeper guy is Chuba Hubbard from Oklahoma State University right and I think that just when I look at him right over the last couple of years I mean listen this year I get in 2020 he only played seven games but then just go ahead and look at the production right and 2019 I mean he rushed for nearly 2100 yards and had average you know about six and a half yards per carry right and then so that's Hubbard. He's a very successful runner, right? A guy that's like one cut, you know, accelerate, really gets to the second level and then boom, just seems to be gone every single time, right? But he needs to grow if he's going to be a more complete player, right? And I think that this is just something that he can master in his first season. I think that he needs to get much better as a blocker, right? As well as just in terms of, you know, pass protection overall. And I think that, you know, for him, just one full NFL offseason under his belt is really going to bring out the best in him as a receiver. Because when I look at Hubbard over the last couple of years at Oklahoma State, right, you realize like, okay, he wasn't overly terrible as a receiver, but he's not exactly the type of running back that you would look at and be like, okay, this is someone that we know we can rely on consistently, but to be an asset in the passing game. But I really think for him with what he's proven, and what's to come, the room is definitely there to grow in terms of being a um, hidden gem on day three and just being a guy that can develop into a complete all-around running back. Yeah, Hubbard's a very interesting case because it's almost like a lot of people forget that he ran for 200 yards um, in 2019 for Oklahoma State there, and now he's completely fallen off the map, it seems like, um, when talking about some of these running back prospects. And I agree, I think Hubbard... Uh, there are some holes to poke in his game in terms of can he be an all-around running back at the next level. I, I think he will be a good fit for a lot of teams that want to run outside zone type of schemes where he's more of that one-cut running back, and they can kind of take advantage of kind of his smooth running style where you can just, again, starting off going horizontal along the line of scrimmage, and then once that hole's created, kind of explodes vertically to kind of hit the hole there. That's kind of what Hubbard does best as a player but like you said, there isn't a lot else in his game right now that kind of distinguishes him. But I think if you're a team that kind of runs that Shanahan style outside zone game, 
you know, he could be a good value, I think, on day three to kind of get a guy that maybe he's not the number one workhorse running back for you, but as a guy that can be in a rotation there and kind of develop in that role, uh, he could be very nice, I think, on for those that's offense specifically, I should say, in terms of what he can do in an outside zone scheme. Uh, for my sleepers in this draft, I have, I have two of them because they're very similar stylistically and from a skill set standpoint. And that's Puka Williams out of Kansas and Javion Hawkins out of Louisville. So I'll start with Williams first. Actually, you know what? Williams and Hawkins are kind of both similar players in, in terms of they're both undersized, quick twitch running backs that have explosive field, explosive speed in the open field to make huge plays both in the running game and the passing game. Look at both of these players here. Uh, you know, Williams, I think especially could be a nice value because I don't feel like a lot of people are talking about him. And I think he could be available available as late as a seventh round here looking at him specifically but it seems like every other run he has there at Kansas and Kansas are not a really good football program overall but it seems like every other run he's having it's like a huge play where he's breaking off a huge 20 plus yard run um, just making guys miss and then once he gets the open field the speed is just really fantastic and same thing goes for Hawkins too where I, I feel like he's very explosive again undersized so you're not expecting him to be in every down back for you at the next level. But if these two can work on their skill set in the passing game as receivers, I think there could be a lot of value there because, you know, when you look at the Bears specifically, they need more explosiveness in their offense. Well, if you can get two running backs or one of these two guys there that kind of offer that undersized uh, rotational running back that, that can provide you that explosive element after the catch or even when they're just in, the, in a normal running game as a change of pace guy, that can be extremely valuable for your offense as kind of a guy that gets five to 10 touches a game and can really break one off big any time that he gets the ball in his hands. Yeah. Puka Williams is just really interesting. Right. And, and I look at him, right. For me right now, if I was going to go ahead and project where he'd be drafted, I would say probably like the fourth round is the ideal fit for him. Right. Um, Or the ideal value to strike on Puka Williams, I should say. Right. And listed, I think he's like, 180 pounds or something so he's definitely going to be a guy when he gets to the next level is going to be really solid in the rotation he's a very patient runner um and then you know whenever he sees the holes right i just think he's got good vision as well he just goes ahead goes ahead and starts to accelerate right so i really like um what puka williams brings to the table yeah absolutely i think both of those guys like you said on day three especially that's where you're going to be getting the best value from some of these undersized, shifty, um, explosive running backs here in that part of the draft. So we talked a little bit about our sleepers here in this draft, but that also the flip side of that is also that there are going to be some guys in this draft that are going to be drafted a little bit higher than they probably should based off of uh, their skill set or some, some of these other factors going into here with the draft because, you know, the draft is an inexact science overall. But who would you say you say is your most overhyped prospect in this class that will probably be drafted a little bit higher than you think he should be going as of right now? Yeah, it's interesting because I felt like for this specific pick, I could have gone multiple different ways. But for me, it's Trey Sermon from Ohio State. And, and I think that just when you look at like the way that things have played out, I mean, listen, let's be honest. We know that for Trey Sermon, right, he – split time in the backfield with master Teague last season. Right. And then I believe Teague went down with the injury and then that allowed sermon to really burst onto the scene. But just when I look at Trey sermon, right, you realize his college career. I mean, he played three seasons at Oklahoma. All right. Then transfers to Ohio state. And even that you look at the one good, the one year that he had at Ohio state, it wasn't like super dynamic by any means. Right. I mean, he didn't even rush for a thousand yards. Right. And while he did average seven and a half yards per, her carry I think the key thing to keep in mind is that he was just the player that like you know got much fewer opportunities compared to like what I think he would have gotten had he been like a starter because he only had like a hundred something carries and let's be real when you are splitting time in the backfield like a hundred something carries especially for a running back isn't necessarily necessarily a lot right and so the reality of the situation is this, i think just a player that kind of burst onto the scene too early or i'm sorry not too early but too late right um but with that said i mean i get i'm saying sermons overhyped 
but uh, there is some stuff to like in his game. You know, he's physical. He does have contact balance. And then I think that the toughness is definitely there. I think right now, if I were to project his role at the NFL level, I would say that he is going to be a guy that teams use a lot in like those short yardage situations. So like you're looking at, you know, like those second and fours or those like third and twos, those third and threes. I think he's going to be that type of rotational back. Yeah, I actually think Sermon, if he's taken like the fourth or fifth round, maybe late fourth round and going into the fifth round, that he could actually be a very good value for some of these teams looking for that uh, that natural downhill runner um, that does have some juice in the open field to get big plays in the running game there. Uh, he could be very valuable for some of those teams looking for that type of role there. But I think a lot, if there's a, you know some people that want to put him in the conversation for some of the best running backs in this draft class, that might be a little bit too much here because I think they're basing that pretty much off the last couple of games of the season where he basically ran roughshod over for at first Northwestern in the big 10 championship. And then in the college football playoff where he had some big performances there, especially against Northwestern. I mean, he just took off it, took over in that game. Uh, you know, Justin Fields, that was probably his worst game of the season there as a passer. And they just went to the run game basically in the second half and Sermon just went off in that one. Um, but you have to keep that in mind that, like you said, he averaged seven and a half yards per carry in college or at least in that last season there you know you got to keep that in mind here that a lot of that is because of the fact that Ohio State they have a great offensive line so there's a lot of plays where he isn't getting touched until five seven ten yards down the field and while he does have that contact balance to take on these guys at the second level and just keep chugging um, once he gets to that point uh, again this isn't a case where he's you know making guys miss in the backfield on a consistent basis and getting big plays from there a lot of it is he's already at top speed going through a wide open hole and the first guy to challenge him just isn't able to make the play because he's just uh, physically superior than him at this point in their development. So Sermon, I think he does have some value, like I, like I said, in the early mid-day three as that type of player right there. But yeah, I, I, there are some people that I've seen that have been taking him in the third round. I just personally, I don't see it, but that, that kind of leads me to my overhype prospect in this class. And I think overhype is a good word because this is a guy that I'm seeing getting consistent uh, first round buzz here. And he was your number one running back in this class. I want to make it clear here that I'm not saying that Travis Etienne is a bad running back prospect far from it. He's a very good running back prospect, but I think he's getting from some people in, in the draft circles here, you know, a lot of hype here as a slam dunk pick as a running back prospect and personally, I, I just don't see it like that. So ETN, there are a lot to like here about his game. First of all, I think he does add a lot of value as a pass catcher. He's a lot of experience at Clemson um, in the receiving game there. So you got to like that versatility aspect of things going to the next level. Um, and then you look at some of the things that he's done, you know, basically from an explosiveness standpoint. I mean, he's a two-time ACC Offensive Player of the Year, I believe. So there are – a lot of instances on tape where he's taking over games with his explosiveness in the open field and just his general playmaking ability in general. But like we've talked about here a few times here on this, on this podcast episode today, you know, tread on the tires. How does that kind of change your evaluation of some of these guys? And I talked a lot about this about Jonathan Taylor in last year's um, running backs preview um, episode for the 2020 NFL draft. And I'll kind of keep things similar here. You know, ETN, he came back to school when he really didn't have to. Um, he was going to be a borderline first round, second round type of talent anyway in last year's draft. And I don't think he really changed anything this year, but what he did do in this past year is put more touches on, on, on tape. And like I said, a lot more tread on the tires here to where how much longevity is, gonna, is he going to have at the next level once he gets to the NFL. So that's one concern I have, but the biggest thing for me when it comes to ETN and it's kind of, a difference between I compare him to Carter, who's my number one guy. Carter, he's a guy that is very quick twitch, uh, changes direction a lot, changes his speed a lot as a runner, I should say. And it just creates a lot of unpredictability once he gets the ball in his hands. ETN, for the most part, he's a one speed runner, at least in my opinion. So he's a guy that he gets the ball. Um, he's going pretty much the same speed that he's going to be going for the majority of his run. Uh, he may accelerate here and there, uh, when he gets contacted, maybe in the backfield here, or, or when he has to change direction before the most part, he's, he's going the same speed he's going. I mean, you know, it's not that he's slow or anything. He's definitely a fast, explosive running back once he gets into space. But I don't know. To me, uh, you want somebody that knows how to change speeds at the next level because 
it's not always going to be like it is at Clemson, like it was at Clemson sometimes where, you know, he's got wide open holes to run through. Um, he's got a lot of space to work with here where you can't afford to kind of run with that same speed and same style. Uh, he's going to have to change speeds at the NFL level to adjust to better competition. And that's just one of my bigger wars with him is can he be that consistent workhorse running back when he's a guy that kind of is a little bit predictable as a runner. And in terms of his vision, I feel like he's, his vision is a little bit subpar at times. He kind of has some troubles there. Um, he kind of goes to, I think, to where the hole is designed to go to. It doesn't really read the play as well as he sh- should sometimes. And, you know, it helps you in terms of the fact that you're going to be getting yards on each play, I, you know, depending on the blocking. But he does miss out on a few big plays sometimes that you look, kind of look back at it and say, you know, if you would have made this cut back here or this, you know, would have kicked out to the outside here, could have had something special here. Instead, he kind of just settled for a minimum gain um, from that perspective. Yeah, so what I'll say is this, right, it's just regarding ETN. I think that for the people who say, oh, he's a surefire first-round pick, I would not take ETN in the first round just because, again, like you and I have kind of discussed, I mean, you don't take a running back in the first round especially at the rate where a lot or in the range that a lot of people are projecting ETN, which for just, you know, some people are like, Oh, he's a surefire first round pick. Others kind of narrow it down or like, Oh, well, he's like a top, you know, 20 pick or a guy that you would select anywhere from 20 to 32, things like that. Right now, I'm not going to take ETN in the first round, but I do believe that in like the second round, for example, you know, he is worth a higher second round pick. But like my big thing, you know, with him is this, right? And you kind of, I mean, I have him as running back one, right? I've said it on the air, but I would just say the thing with ETN, right? Is that like, you are right. You know, how much tread on the tires is there? Because he has been a workhorse running back at Clemson for pretty much the last couple of years, right? And so it's like moving forward, right? I mean, how much of that is going to impact him at the NFL level? Because we're talking about a guy that between his sophomore and junior season, right, rushed for about 1,700 yards both years. And so essentially when we look at that, we realize like, okay, maybe there is a lot more tread. But then again, he has shown to be a guy that can be durable over the last couple of years. So ETN is one of those that like whoever drafts him, you're either drafting him too high or you're drafting him just right. I don't think there's going to be a specific case for him where he necessarily starts to slip in the draft. Yeah, I will say this for ETN's benefit. He does a very nice job, I think, of avoiding big hits. Whereas you look at a guy like Jonathan Taylor last year, who's a bigger running back, a guy who relies on power more, you know, he's going to acquire a lot more hits onto his frame that could impact him down the line here as we go uh, over the next couple of years here. I don't think that's, I don't think that's entirely the case with ETN. He does a pretty good job of avoiding big hits in general, just with his general speed and elusiveness as a player. Um, you know, I, I, there are some issues I have with his general game, but again, the fact that he has so many carries and so many touches in his college career, it worries me to a degree, but it's not like a deal breaker for me in terms of picking him high. I think he's a guy that I would take um, late second round and you can kind of take advantage of his big playability in the passing game, uh, his versatility, kind of do a bunch of different things for your offense there. But, you know, there are some problems I have with him kind of projecting him to be a lead back in the NFL. But we'll just see how that happens there because, you know, again, there is a lot to like about him. But when you're judging him against some of these other top running backs, like I said, Carter to me just popped uh, when I watched him this past year. ETN, you know, he's, he's very good. But he's gotten some Alvin Kamara comparisons I've heard in the past, and I don't think he's quite Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara has special contact balance um, and playmaking ability in space. I just didn't quite see that with ETN um, in order to justify taking him a little bit higher. Yeah, see, I would not compare Alvin, I'm sorry, ETN to Alvin Kamara. I just do not see it. I just think coming out of college, right, I would say that, Camara was definitely a guy who you, the moment you turn the tape on, you're like, okay, he's a far superior athlete compared to ETN. And he's just so much more dynamic as well. And I think, you know, the, another thing to kind of look at regarding ETN is that whoever drafts him, you better be convinced that you're getting like a good, consistent workhorse running back. Um, I think that, you know, with him, like it's his ceilings essentially being a workhorse, 
but then like his floor, you could consider it, right? Is probably just going to be a guy who gets to the NFL and as a result of the wear and tear on Clemson is going to be someone that's just like a rotational back in like a three running back committee. Yeah. And if you're taking a guy in the second round, it's probably not ideal that he's going to be part of a committee or at least be a third guy in a committee or something like that. Like you just alluded to, but again, I think ETN will be better than that. Again, I just, I'm hearing a lot of, a lot of hype about him right now. I just want to pump the brakes a little bit. I think he's very good. But I think uh, he's got a ways to go before I can consider him a special type of prospect to put him in that first-round conversation like I've seen in the past. All right, so we kind of talked about some of these prospects here and broken down some, some of the guys that could be options here for the Bears in, dra- in this draft class. But now what we're going to do now for our last segment here is we're going to be breaking down what we think the Bears should be doing in terms of addressing running back in this specific draft class here. So we're going to take our final break of the show with a word from our sponsor and then get to that. And we're back here at Picks for Pace, concluding this episode today, discussing the running backs in the upcoming 2021 NFL draft by going over what we think the Bears strategy should be going into this draft to address the running back position. So look at the Bears right now, what their roster is set up. David Montgomery, obviously, is coming off a very impressive sophomore season as a running back. In my opinion, personally, I think he's kind of like a borderline top 10-ish running back there in the NFL right now. And then you look at behind him, Tariq Cohen, he's going to be coming off of an ACL injury that was suffered early last season, but he's under contract on a contract extension for the next three years, I believe. He's kind of that change of pace back in the backfield there. Outside of that, though, you got Artavis Pierce. You got Ryan Nall is going to be an exclusive rights free agent there. Um, You know, there's a lot of talk about you know, whether you take Coriola Patterson back and keep it that running back experiment going with him there. But, you know, looking at this thing now from a draft perspective, you say, and looking at where the Bears are at with the running back position, how do you think they should be handling the running back here with this draft class specifically? Well, let's start with where the Bears are at regarding the running back position, right? Now, I understand Cordero Patterson. A lot of Bears fans are going to be like, oh, he's perhaps the best kickoff returner in the NFL. But listen, we've seen teams like the Saints and the Chiefs over the last couple of years. I mean, they find, you know, returners in free agency, right? I believe the Saints had like Tommy Lee Lewis or someone, right? And then the Chiefs obviously have like McCall Hardman back there. But the point is, is those teams found punt returners and kick returners for just super cheap, right? So, like, if I'm the Bears, I mean, $5 million a year for a returner is way too much, right? So I'm not bringing Cordero Patterson back. And then just the Cordero Patterson running back experiment, that's something that very clearly failed very early on in 2019. And then let's talk about David Montgomery and Tariq Cohen. I mean, Montgomery, let's be honest, had the Bears had a more consistent offensive line, I do believe that he could have had, like, 2,000 yards from scrimmage in 2020, right? Tariq Cohen tore his ACL. But we've seen him when he was at his best in 2018. He was like the second best weapon on the offense behind Allen Robinson. Now, mind you, that second best guy is probably going to be David Montgomery going into 2021, right? But I look at the running back position and I'm like, look, in terms of the draft, let's be real. There's no point in drafting a running back because you've invested a lot into that position over the last couple of years. I mean, you basically selected Tariq Cohen in 2017 two years later you traded up 14 spots from 87 to 73 to grab David Montgomery you drafted Kareth White that same year didn't select a running back in um, 2020 and now going forward to 2021 right there's not really a need to select a running back because Artavius Pierce you know one guy that showed some potential when he got an opportunity to touch the ball last year all right he was a player that I think can be RB3 right I think that there's no point in even bringing a guy like Ryan Nall back either because for me, Ryan Nall at this point is just a preseason star. So overall, when I look at the Bears, like I'm not selecting a running back in 2020 because you've invested a lot into that position over the last couple of years. And there's not really any point in you continuing to invest into that position because Montgomery's shown he can be a workhorse. It's just, can they get the offensive line figured out in front of him? Tariq Cohen, I thought was on pace for a bounce back year in 2020, but then he tore his ACL in week three. So Chicago has their guys at the running back position. They're set. There's no reason to go ahead and draft another running back unless you absolutely think you need an RB3 on the roster. Yeah, I think a lot of Bears fans are going to be fearful in saying that, you know, what if David Montgomery goes down? That means we don't have a, a backup running back that can take shoulder the load as a, as a lead back here going forward. Well, you know, I'd make the point that, you know, we've seen across the NFL, this is not a, a new thing here, but 
I mean, you can get guys as UDFAs and veterans off the street that can give you solid production as a lead back uh, when your starter goes down. That isn't a new thing here. Um, and, you know, looking at the Bears situation right now, I think Artavis Pierce, he was a guy that I liked uh, as an undrafted free agent last year. And he kind of showed, like you said, he, he showed some nice things near the end of the season there. I think you look at the Jacksonville Jaguars game was one where he had a touchdown run in that game. Uh, shows a nice burst as a player there. You know, I don't think, you know, going to this specifically here with the draft here, I don't think it should be a priority for the Bears in this draft. You look at what they need to address early on. They need to definitely address the quarterback position. They definitely need to get an offensive tackle in this draft class at some point. You know, with the uncertainty at wide receiver with Allen Robinson's situation, they definitely need to get another weapon there. Tight end. You know, they can get a you guy to kind of compliment Cole Komet. That's definitely a priority here. You can never have another – you can never have too many interior offensive line guys, you know, on day three to kind of bring in here to kind of see – to build some depth there in the interior of, of your offensive line. And then you look at some of the, the needs they'll have on the defensive side of the ball. You know, they still need to reinvest, I think, with the cornerback position. They still don't have a long-term answer at the strong safety position alongside Eddie Jackson. You, know, you can never have too many pass rushers there, linebackers. You know, there, there are a variety of different positions to address here in this class that are more important and more of, you know, and that needs to be addressed sooner than the running back position as of right now. So I think I agree with you, you know, perfectly here. You know, I, I don't think it's a priority in this draft. I think they can be fine just going with a UDFA, um, you know, once the draft is concluded to kind of bring in and compete with Artavis Pierce and maybe a veteran that they want to bring in in free agency to kind of compete for that number three running back role you know it's interesting because they did hire um, a former coach from Oregon State to be their running backs coach here so he kind of has that connection with Pierce and Ryan Nall already as players so that's a little bit interesting there to kind of tells you that I think they're probably planning on bringing both of those guys back to compete for that number three number four running back role but again I don't think you can go you can go wrong bringing in another UDFA though to compete with those guys and see what they have there but, you know, if you are going to spend any draft capital on a running back in this class, you're looking at the sixth, maybe seventh round and just throwing a flyer at a guy that, you know, I would look at personally some of the guys that I already talked about here, Puka Williams and Javion Hawkins. You know, those are type, the type of running backs you want to be looking at there as two explosive, speedy, explosive, quick twitch running backs that are undersized. But if you put them in a rotation there, maybe they can uh, be something of a bit of a spark plug, change of pace type of running back because. You already have your workhorse in David Montgomery. Tariq Cohen's kind of like that versatile receiving weapon out of the backfield. You know, you, again, you can always pick up a running back off the street to give you quality production should David Montgomery go down. So if you can get somebody that's explosive and kind of add some versatility to a pass catcher, then maybe I think you can get to consider it there. But other than that, I mean, I really, I agree. They probably shouldn't be spending any draft capital whatsoever at running back in this draft. Yeah, and that's just one of the things, right, is it's like I get David Montgomery's going to go into year three kind of looking ahead here way past 2021. I mean, look, Montgomery's going to go into year three, all right, and he's going to be eligible for a contract extension as soon as January 2022 hits. So the point is, is that Montgomery has not shown any signs of like slowing down yet, obviously, you know, because of the wear and tear that he's accumulated over the last two seasons that would be a different story. Right. But I just think overall, you know, the bears are set at running back and it's just like, why continue to invest in a position, even if that is the best player available on the board, then you know that you're pretty much set at that position. I mean, Pace and Nagy in the past have talked about, we want to create competition, the more competition, the merrier. Right. But this is just one of those positions where it's like, if you're going to create competition, then you create competition to push a guy like Ryan Nall and a guy like Artavius Pierce. And you bring in, undrafted free agents right because teams are always going to be dipping in that undrafted free agent pool to bring in guys to just round out the 90-man roster for training camp so if the bears go that route and they bring in you know one or two running backs i believe they brought in napoleon maxwell last year to compete with pierce right then then i'm all for that but just in terms of you know drafting a guy i would essentially say it's just like a wasted draft pick especially when you have like you alluded to so many other needs that have to be addressed Yep, 100% agreed, and I think that's a good way to end this episode here when talking about the running back conversation. We definitely covered a lot here today and some of these guys that are going to be available for the Bears in the upcoming NFL draft. Uh, we'll just see how it all shakes out, like we said. We don't think it's a high priority for the Bears at this point, but 
you know, if they do bring in one of these guys that we mentioned here, there are some things to kind of look forward here with some of those guys here in this draft. So I want to thank our viewer, our listeners once again for tuning into the Picks for Pace podcast. Uh, you make sure to follow us on Twitter at Picks for Pace. And you say we're going to follow you on Twitter and find your work. Yeah, guys, you can follow me on all my social media at Usaid Koshal. All right, check out my work on the Bear Report. Um, you know, free agency is coming up in a couple of weeks here, so definitely going to be writing about that. Some players, some pro players that the Bears should look at. But, uh, yeah, like I said, you know, follow me on social media and check out my work on the Bear Report. Yep, you can follow me at AJ Freeman 25 and find my work at the Bear Report as well. Make sure to follow along my mock 2021 off-season series for the Chicago Bears where I break down what I think the Bears should do to address some of their needs this off-season giving some of the challenges with the salary cap decrease and some of the lack of draft capital with the biggest need being of course quarterback of course so make sure to check out all that stuff coming up soon leading up to free agency and a little under a month here it's kind of coming up quickly so you know there's a lot of excitement going on here we're seeing a lot of veterans on the move here as of right now just a lot to cover here, and hopefully we get some more news with the Bears coming up shortly. But until then, make sure to keep on tuning in to our previews here for the 2021 NFL Draft. We're going to be going to the defensive side of the ball for our next one here, so make sure to keep an eye out for that. Uh, thank you once again for listening to the Fix for Pace podcast. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.